I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Herbs, hope in the fight against honey fungus, and community gardeners making real changes to people's lives. Welcome to the RHS Gardening Podcast. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the team of gardening advisors based here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. October's a lovely month in the garden. In the garden at Wisley, there are still things looking absolutely amazing. The dahlias, for me, are like the last vestige of autumn flower colour. That's what I, I like to see at this time of year. In the kitchen garden, the teams are busy gathering the end of the autumn harvest, securing winter veg against the colder weather and the hungry predators, and preparing for the year ahead. How has 2019 been in the kitchen garden? Our producer Lucy went to meet the team to hear about their successes and challenges and to learn what jobs gardeners can tackle in the coming weeks. I'm Emily Mackay and I work in the vegetable garden at Wisley. So tell me about the vegetable garden, what, uh, describe what you can see. Um, at the moment it's still quite full for October. I've got a mixture of crops that have been growing throughout the summer and then I've started in quite a few places to sow some green manures just to keep the beds covered for the winter months. And so you've got some big arches down the garden? Yep, we've got five big arches down each side. At the moment I've got four of them with an ornamental plant called Cobaea scandens or cup and saucer plant and they've done really well this year. They're just ornamental but I found the visitors have loved them and they've got a big flower that resembles a cup and saucer. The other arches, until very recently I had runner beans. I chose two runner beans, one with pink flowers called Celebration and one with white flowers called Moonlight. So that just added another ornamental aspects to the veg garden. And did they have good yields? Pretty good. I think on the whole they did do better than last year because the summer wasn't quite as hot. But I did have a few problems with fungal root problems on a couple of plants and I think that's probably because I grew runner beans in the same space the year before so next year I'll, I'll probably grow something completely different. So, so is that a problem um, many gardeners face if you grow beans in the same place two years on the trot you risk infection carrying over? It can be. Generally speaking runner beans they're more of a 
neutral crop in terms of crop rotation, they can be a bit prone to wheat problems. So what have been the other success stories this year so far? Really pleased with the celeriac this year. I'll, I'll show you. We'll just grow over to the other side of the garden. So here's the celeriac. I'm growing two varieties. There's monarch, which I grew last year and, and was really successful, so I'm growing that again. And then next to it, I've got a variety called Ilona, which I haven't grown before, but I'd say they're pretty similar, both pretty vigorous. Probably they did well because I gave them plenty of water and I also got them planted out at a good time and I find planting them out about the middle towards the end of May works well at Wisley. And what have really been the big challenges you've faced here this year? We have had some quite prolonged dry spells, not as bad as last year, but um, it has meant that I've really had to keep on top of the watering. So some days, most of my morning has been watering just to keep particularly things that have recently been planted out, trying to get them established. Because I sow a lot of seeds direct in the ground, trying to keep those areas moist until germination that's been quite a challenge and what about pests and diseases so there was a few problems with the runner beans but also the beginning of the year there were a few crops that had problems with aphids but on the whole i managed to catch them early enough that squashing regular squashing seemed to keep them at bay and then as the season went on i found that the ladybirds helped to sort of keep them at bay so so actually, it was only early on that the aphids were a problem. I have grown, well, a few things, such as the poached egg plant, which is down in the bottom corner. Um, it's actually self-seeded now, but during the summer, it had lovely flowers with yellow middles and white petals, like a poached egg, and it attracts hoverflies. And I grew that deliberately because the larvae um, feed on aphids. So when I designed the veg garden, I'm trying to think about a few things that might help with pest and disease problems and they're also beautiful flowers because you're quite a flower fan as well aren't you yeah i love mixing the flowers with the vegetables i think it shows that veg gardens can be pretty can be interesting and even if you're not the biggest fan of vegetables you can hopefully still enjoy the garden there's lots of color so what what jobs can people who grow in their own fruit and veg and your team going to be doing in the next few weeks we will be continuing to harvest so the crops such as the celeriac we've just seen um, there's some Florence fennel just just over there which has reached a good size that's stunning <laughs> so that definitely needs harvesting sweet potatoes have recently I've noticed the foliage has died back so I need to dig those up in the next few weeks I've got cabbages such as this red cabbage Climaro that'll be in October or November harvest I'll also be doing things like cutting back the asparagus once all the foliage turns yellow, planting garlic. I'll also be planting some onion sets because I found autumn planting to be quite successful. Yeah, and what, and what key jobs can domestic gardeners be thinking about? So garlic planting, if you're growing it, onion sets. Yep, sowing broad beans. I find if you sow broad beans in autumn, you should get a slightly earlier crop the next year and often the plants are advanced enough to avoid the worst of spring pests such as black fly. You also might want to take the opportunity to give your greenhouse a really good clean once it's a bit more empty and that will improve the growing environment. 
for the plants by removing the algae, the moss and the grime. It lets more light in and then helps control pests and diseases because things like spider mite will overwinter in plant debris. What's your favourite thing about winter in the garden? I suppose in terms of jobs it's less busy but then it gives me the chance to sit down and plan for next year which is really fun because then I can look at all the different varieties I can grow and look at what did well the previous year and then go from there. It's a proper time to take stock and to choose new things and to build on the successes and try and avoid the failures. Yeah yeah I'm always recording what worked and didn't work and then always sort of hoping that next year will be better than the year before. (laughs) You can find links to more information about all aspects of growing your own edibles on our programme page. There are also recipes for delicious seasonal dishes from RHS Garden Hyde Hall's head chef, which we discussed in our last podcast, rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. Now, community gardens. Or perhaps we should say communities who garden. Much more is now recognised about the physical and mental benefits of plants and of the activity of gardening to the health and happiness of people of all ages. It's fascinating to see the ways that the power of plants is being harnessed by diverse groups of people. One innovative project that caught our producers' attention recently was the Trinity Methodist Church Garden in Tyneside. There, the churchgoers are working with a local food bank and the RHS to supply fresh vegetables and herbs to supplement the dried goods in the food parcels given to those in financial need. But the aim was not only to improve people's diets, but also to inspire hope, encourage involvement in the garden, to stimulate and inspire growth through growing. We called them to hear about the scheme and the difference it was making in the region. I'm Christine Wright and I am one of the community outreach advisors and I cover the northeast of England. So Green in Great Britain is a national programme that we have. It runs across all of our regions and we support community groups to green up sometimes grey spaces, sometimes they're spaces that are already green. We help them to improve the spaces that they've got, so adding plants, working with different groups in the community, getting people out and about gardening. Sometimes it's for the benefits for health and well-being, sometimes it's for the environment, but whatever the impact that we have, it's always got to be good for the community. So the Bladen Project came about when I met Lucy. Hi, my name is Lucy Svalinska and I'm a community development worker for the Methodist Church in the west of Gateshead. And we have, behind one of the churches, this patch of land, which over the summer and the beginning of autumn, we've worked with the RHS to turn into a community garden. It was a little bit run down. It just needed some expert advice from the RHS to come in and advise them what they could grow and what would have the most benefit for the food bank, which isn't necessarily lots of potatoes and lots of onions, the traditional things that you would think of, because that's not going to feed everybody. Well, what we decided on, first of all, was looking at herbs and herbs for taste, because they're very easy to grow, they're seasonal, and it means that everybody could have something a little bit green and a little bit nutritious 
in their food bank package that they want to take away with them every week. So the garden exists in the patch of land behind the church that originally was supposed to be built on when the church was built 140 years ago, but um, they ran out of money. So it really is just a derelict piece of land. And over the last couple of years, a couple of people from the community had come and sort of landscaped it. But it wasn't a garden in which we were actively growing stuff. It was a little bit unsafe in terms of the terrain. And actually, it was full of cider cans and broken glass. So it wasn't somewhere that I would spend a lot of time. But it is now pretty accessible. And when you go in, it's set in three different parts. So way at the back, we've got beds where we're growing stuff, particularly for use in the soup lunch and to give people at the food bank. So we've got courgettes growing that turned into courgette soup recently and were beautiful. And we're going to grow potatoes and leeks as the basis for lots of soups in one of the beds. And then in the middle section, we've got some fruit trees growing, some apple trees, which are only little now, but we hope they'll grow into mighty trees. And then in the front, we've got a nice patch of grass. And over the summer, we had holiday fun clubs for kids for whom their holidays might be difficult, where their parents might not be able to like bridge the holiday gap in terms of the families that usually get free school meals. So we had a holiday club going on in the area and we got the kids to come in and use that patch of grass and sit, spend some time outside, learn about the gardens and pot up some of their own herbs. So that was lovely and a really good use of that space. The Bladen Scheme has been really worthwhile because although it started as a a very small project, it's brought quite a lot of recognition to what the food bank does. It's also been a good opportunity to help the food bank team, or particularly the team at the Methodist Church, to start building up their local networks because there are a lot of growers in Bladen and in the Gateshead area already. And it's about linking them together. We can do that through projects like Green in Great Britain. So we've been able to grow herbs on a small scale at the food bank. But along with that, we've linked in with the local council and other local groups. We have a a lovely group who've offered to share their polytunnel space. We have another group who's offered to give us free wood chip. So it's had a wider impact as well. Going forward, we hope that we'll be able to encourage more people to come and volunteer, particularly users of the food bank and other members of the local community. So you're also breaking down those barriers as well from people who might perceive the church as somewhere that they wouldn't want to go. Really what the church is saying is is, it's open to everybody. Come along, come along, enjoy the green space. It's good for you. Come and be healthy. We've had quite a few days where lots of people have come to help with the planting of the garden. And there were people there who said that that time in itself had been really precious in terms of social interaction but also in terms of getting outside. There was one girl there who is on two crutches and she said that usually she wouldn't think that she could join in the gardening, but she'd been able to come and do some really good planting and that had been a really precious time for her. And it was really intergenerational. There were people in their 20s and people in their 70s all gardening together. But also the way that the produce has been used has been valuable already. I was sitting with a couple in the food bank maybe a month ago and they were talking about how they really like spicy food 
And when they come to the food bank, they get tins of beans and they get spaghetti and pasta sauce. And it's all really useful stuff if you're in crisis, but it's not necessarily the stuff they choose and how they really missed having fresh produce. And I said, well, hold on there, because in the community garden just next door, we're growing some chilli plants. Do you want to come with me and we'll pick you some chilies to take home and you can turn your pasta sauce into a spicy pasta sauce with fresh vegetables in. And they did that, and I could tell that that was, that was meaningful because it also... It not only showed that the garden was useful, but it also meant that they had some autonomy about what they were taking. The soup lunch that we have on a Monday, to be able to use produce from the garden in the soup, it's been courgette soup so far, has meant that a lot of the older folk who come to that soup lunch because it's one of their only social interactions in the week can see that it's homegrown soup. It's grown in the west of Gateshead and it's got this real community feel, this real ownership over the garden. It's been my favourite project I've done. You start with a lovely bunch of people. They are just so lovely and nice and really want to put back into the community and help people out. They've encourage people to come and grow things so you've got the garden you've got lovely people and you had an absolutely brilliant project it's exactly how it should be making people happy i think that's what it boils down to really people are happier through getting out and growing and putting plants into a space and then giving back as well not just about being out there enjoying the garden by yourself you've got the opportunity to help other people to enjoy it as well. So it's about making people happy. Before I got involved, I wouldn't have said that I had green fingers, that I had absolutely no idea what I'm doing. And I'm certainly not an expert gardener, but it definitely made me empowered to think about growing my own herbs and we've taken cuttings. And I feel confident now to take community groups into the garden and talk through what's there and how it might be used. And so personally, like I feel it's opened up a world of gardening that it wasn't there before. My hope for the garden is firstly that it might continue to be productive for as much of the year as possible so that the stuff that we grow there can be used by the soup lunch and the food bank and that we can think about other places where it might be useful for the community. But my... Um, most important hope, the thing that I really wish for this garden, is that it might become a place that everyone in the community sees as their own, so that um, people maintain it because they love it, and because they feel like it's a really important part of their own lives and their community's lives. There are links to more information about the organisations and topics discussed on our programme page on the RHS website. There, you can also find details of some of the events that are being held this autumn in our RHS gardens, including a Dig for Victory display, which marks the 80th anniversary of the outbreak of World War II and the collaboration between the RHS and the government, which resulted in iconic posters, publications and more. You can see photos and memories of wartime vegetable gardens submitted in response to the public appeal we ran earlier this year. 
This display runs at all four RHS gardens, Hyde Hall in Essex, Wisley in Surrey, Harlow Carr in North Yorkshire and Rosemore in Devon until the 17th of November and it's at the Lindley Library in London until the 15th of November. Plus, there are hundreds of other garden-related events, including awesome autumn half-term activities for children. See our programme page for more details. And finally, honey fungus. Autumn is the time that many people notice some of the more obvious signs that can indicate this disease is attacking your prized trees, shrubs and hedges. It can be a devastating disease. Once affected by it, many gardeners are left in a quandary about what, if anything, is safe to plant in a previously infected area. The Wisley plant pathologists are intensively studying honey fungus and have recently released some new evidence of some resistant species that can offer some hope for garden lovers. I'm Matthew Cromie. I'm a plant pathologist here at the RHS at Wisley. Um, We're sitting in the advisory office at the moment with the advisors next door tapping away at the computers answering questions as we speak. So this is, this is a prime time of year for people to first notice some symptoms of honey fungus. What they notice at the moment is the mushrooms starting to come up. Generally, they've already seen the damage to the plants that have died back. So um, generally, as the weather gets dry, the plants that are affected, it is a root disease after all. So once the root system is lost then the plant has a bit of a struggle getting the water up into the leaves and, and into the stems. So what you tend to notice in the summer is the dieback coming on. So people notice that or they may not notice it or they think maybe there's a problem. This time of year what they more notice is the mushrooms starting to form because most mushrooms form in the autumn. Honey fungus mushrooms in particular start about now. Uh, we've had some damp weather recently which is good for them to get going. So people will either notice the plants that have been looking sick or maybe ones that have died even places where they've dug up some plants they'll notice the mushrooms starting to come up sometimes they can then link that to the plant that is looking sick sometimes they may be surprised and they don't know why it's come from where it's come because interestingly the fungus itself can travel very long distances along with the root systems so you can sometimes see the mushrooms coming for instance out in the lawn from where a tree has died maybe even a year or two ago so previously you've had a, a list of some plants which are more resistant and therefore if you've been affected might be good replacements for maybe something you've lost? Yeah, so, so in the past we've got a very, very big database. We make use of all of our members who send inquiries in about diseases. All of our diagnoses are recorded. We have a huge database. So we have over 5,000 records of honey fungus in our database on several hundred different plants. So in the past, what we've done with that is we've just provided a list. So the plants that we have lots of records on, the plants that we have some records on, and the plants that we have no records or only a very few records on. But you can probably think of the problem of just using that because a very common plant is going to tend to get more records than a very rare plant. So one of our main hosts, one of our most common hosts, for instance, apart from privet, which we know is very susceptible, but we have a lot on roses, but roses are in almost every garden. So is it actually highly susceptible, and that's why we've got lots of records, or is it lots of records because it's very popular? So this is why we've changed what we've done. And so what are the changes to your list? Is this offering some hope for people who suffer from honey fungus? People can use it now to reliably choose 
replacement plants where they've got a high risk of honey fungus damage, so they've had several plants die, a medium risk where there's been a bit of honey fungus around and it's maybe an occasional problem, or if they haven't had honey fungus, grow what you like. Grow a private hedge if you don't have honey fungus. But of course, once you've got honey fungus, or if you get it there, then you're going to be in trouble potentially. So in the past, we just based it on lots of records, some records, hardly any records. But we've now made an effort to take into account the popularity of plants. So roses is one of our most popular plants, also a number of records. If you adjust the number for the popularity... Yeah then you can come up with a more relative figure. Ah, okay. That makes, makes a, lot, a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah so I'm envisaging graphs. Mm. So, so you would expect something like, um, say, just taking a pair of plants, the very common plant, roses, with osmanthus, sweet olive, which is, you know, people grow it, but it's not certainly not as common as roses. But we have 347 records of honey fungus on roses, and we have eight records on osmanthus. So if you just look at the raw data, you'd probably suggest that, that uh, osmanthus is much more resistant. But take the popularity into account and you form an index and they actually come out about the same. So just as we're moving uh, forward into the year and autumn, what things can gardeners be doing to treat or prevent diseases in the coming months and coming year? There's quite a lot that you can do this time of year. It's now autumn, so most of the leaves are tending to turn brown, die off if they're deciduous plants, plants will be bedding down for the winter. So you've got to, you really want to keep them in as good a condition as possible going into the winter. But one of the key things for next year is that most diseases are not active in the winter. They have a temperature that they like, the same with plants. Plants won't be growing very much in the winter, but neither will the plant pathogens or the disease organisms be growing. They have to survive. The plant survives in the winter by sitting there and and just waiting it out. But the fungus, very often, if it's a fungal disease, needs to survive somewhere over the winter. So doing a good clean-up can reduce the amount of that fungus or the pathogen that survives through the winter. So an autumn clean-up is a good thing. So have a look at your plants. If they're plants that were, for instance, uh, infected quite heavily with powdery mildew and it's a deciduous plant, then clearing up those leaves, composting them, is reducing the amount of the fungus that survives over the winter. Pruning out if you've got cankers or damage on your trees and shrubs, having them pruned out probably a little bit before now. It depends. You, you want to prune at the right time for the plant. But cutting out any of those infections that are actually on a stem. So if you're pruning your roses, have a look at where the cankers and things are. Clean it all out, get rid of that material, starting with a clean base, so then when the plant grows in the spring... And I'm guessing don't put that material in your compost heap. Maybe municipal compost is okay, but not your domestic. Almost everything you can put on a compost heap. Most things aren't going to be a major problem, partly because you're going to be covering them. So a lot of things will be producing spores could produce spores in the spring. So if you've got a few leaves sitting at the top of the compost heap, they may produce some spores which will move somewhere. But most of these common diseases will come in anyway. All you're really trying to do is delay the epidemic from forming. So it doesn't matter if you've got a little bit around. Just cleaning up to try and reduce it, you're going to delay the infection from occurring in the spring. So in most cases, composting is good. Um, There's a few things that you don't want to compost. But generally, if you've got fallen leaves, compost those. If you've had cankers and things in the wood, that you've had wood diseases on your stems, probably burn those or send them into into municipal compost. 
but there are very few things that are really a problem that you need to worry about. Matthew Cromie. That's all from us here at Wisley. I'm Jenny Bowden. Goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.